This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news in the restaurant world, as well as a couple of restaurants we have dined at recently. For that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's a beverage consultant who has created the cocktail offerings for a number of successful Houston restaurants and bars. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great. I'm living my best life. Very good. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Reserve 101, a whiskey and cocktail bar in downtown, has begun serving vintage spirits. The move comes after changes to the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Code that allows them to do so. And by vintage, I mean stuff from the stuff that's no longer like for sale at, at, through normal retail channels, whether that's like wild turkey from the 70s and 80s or limited edition specials like Booker's Rye that had a, a very brief moment, you know, at least five years ago and sold out immediately and basically only exist in secondary markets through like auctions or private Facebook groups or that sort of thing. Uh, but you can find some of that stuff at, at Reserve now. So Yeah, I mean, classically, classically, you, you'd be able to find, uh, for instance, in diff- there's different cities one of my favorite cities to buy vintage spirits is in New York. So um, when an importer gets it, you can purchase things that have been sitting in someone's shelves. And and honestly, like I've been waiting for this day, like as a spirits enthusiast and a professional, um, it, there is a lot of changes and a lot of different spirits, malt builds, ingredients, you know, I don't know. I, and I'll just give a quick spiel. Like there's a, a famous bitter called Campari. Anything that is pre, I think it's like the 90s they changed it or late, late 90s. They used to make Campari with the cochineal beetle for the color, that that color red that Campari has. Uh, The one that we have this day and age will be red 40 instead of the beetle. It's not only is it a different color, it's a different spirit altogether. And so some of the stuff that I'm always excited to see is, is those like this change in ingredients, vintage Galliano, vintage... Wild, wild turkey, obviously, different malt builds, and the also age changes a lot. So that I think that's going to change a lot in in Texas, just as a whole, as everyone starts to be able to acquire these spirits. Yeah, I I mean, <laughs> so you're saying that that vintage Campari is not vegan because it's made with a beetle. That's right, <laughs> but it's but it's also delicious because it doesn't red forty just adds color, it doesn't add flavor, and the beetle, the actual beetle, is actually. Um, tastier and you know just a little a little bit more bitter you know right right so you you and i both know sean fitzmaurice one of the owners of reserve 101 uh he's a friend of yours he's uh, he and i are on good terms sean told me that he thinks offering these vintage spirits is is an important step in making reserve 101 you know his goal is for it to be the best whiskey bar in texas now do you do you agree with him that that 
if you want to be considered among the very best bars in the state, that you need to jump on this and and have maybe not 20, but at least a few uh, of these kind of rare vintage spirits on your back bar in order to be a really great bar? I mean, I just think that, like, I just, I never think that there's a, there is never a formula. There is not a formula for anyone to be a great either spirits, cocktail bar, a whiskey bar. Like, I think that because of where Reserve 101 is located, I think it's definitely worth a, worth a look at because we have so much global guests, you know, especially in downtown. So yeah, do I think, I mean, does it work for, does it, does it make sense for Reserve 101 or Anvil or Permission? I mean, I think it makes, it makes sense for them. I wouldn't say that for like the cats in the woodlands, you know what I mean? Maybe one or two, one place or something or someone in Tomball. So I don't know. I, I don't. Well, yeah, like I, like I was thinking about, uh, you know, the lounge at March or even at the Four Seasons, which is right next to Reserve 101. They have both Bayou and Bottle and then Bandista. They're like super premium you know, speakeasy style cocktail bar that you have to have reservations for and all that. And it, and it occurred to me that, you know, when you're going to these kind of more premium drinking environments, that, that, that ability to have something that's, that's extremely difficult to buy. If you're, if you're just a private person to have that as an offering for people, you know, as a, a more premium kind of experience, I think that makes a lot of sense. And so I appreciate that reserve 101 is kind of first uh, certainly the first in Houston that I'm aware of uh, to jump on this, but I do kind of expect a select group of like very elite kind of cocktail and whiskey bars to to follow their lead on this. I don't like to say that it's elite. It's just because I think it kind of puts it in a, like, I don't know, like that feels elite is, is, is not, not my word that I like to use, but I think it's just a more, a more, um, I don't know, maybe it's just like, uh, a level of professionalism i don't know like with or within the hospitality i don't know i just i think that it's available to a lot of different people but a i mean does a lot do a lot of people know the education behind that because i think sometimes people will jump on a certain trend and the staff isn't the, you know like for instance activated charcoal right a couple of years ago it went kind of bananas you saw it everywhere it was kind of like an right it made the cocktails thing. black and it looked cool on instagram yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, you know, little a lot of people didn't understand like, oh, yeah, you could probably possibly hurt people because of the education. I think that with vintage spirits is if the research is there, the education is there is let's party because I would hate for people to just start buying vintage spirits and then have a bunch of, you know, people being like, uh, I don't know what that is. You know, the amount of times that I, I travel and see people be like, oh, well, we don't know why we have that here. Like, I have no idea what this is. Like, I don't know what Blanton's is, or I don't know what, you know, I don't know what chartreuse is, you know? And like these, the people are like, what? So I don't think that that's what's going to happen right now, currently in Houston, but you know, just calling it to the, Oh, that this, this will make your, your bar great is just not the way that I would say that. Right. Right. It, it, no, it only makes sense if you're already kind of established in that, area or you want to be kind of known and then you add this as like a, a supplement because it's never you know there's all these the way that the law is crafted it's it's not designed to be it would be basically impossible for a bar to only sell vintage spirits right because there's limits on the amount that they can buy from any one 
retailer and and all of this this stuff and of course it's it's super expensive i mean the the least expensive option at reserve 101 i think is 30 dollars for a half an ounce of old granddad from the 80s right so like that's that is not a kind of bread and butter you know spirit selection but uh but i i i'm excited about this because cuz i do have like you know i i like i like tasting different things i like having I like trying things i've never tried before and you know i'm not i'm not the guy who's going to walk in and drop 250 bucks on one ounce of booker's rye right i'm just i'm not but i know that there are plenty of people who will and so i think making this oh, yeah. available is exciting yeah we're and, in the land of oil and gas you know yeah right exactly right so all right so vintage campari that's that's something that you'd like to see is there anything else on your like spirit bucket list that you'll get particularly excited about if it shows up somewhere Mm, it's really, it's really like Italian, Italian Amaras of all kind of, that's like, that's kind of my thing because the way that they've changed so much in the last, but of, of course, like, again, I'm the 5%. So I'm, I'm the one that is going to want to try the weird, the weird stuff. Right. So, and for, and for everybody else, wild Turkey that's older than you are is going to be pretty exciting. I think, Right. For the average whiskey, for the average whiskey drinker, the opportunity to drink something that was distilled, you know, and aged at a time potentially before they were born right if you're like a millennial or uh gen z like i i think that that's going to connect with people absolutely all right let's move on to topic number two dakenbop the korean fried chicken restaurant is uh doing something that's very rare in the restaurant business they are reopening their original location in the museum district they have leased the former uh city seller space in the park bins building next to Barnaby's and Fadi's. This is where Dak and Bob got its start uh, several years ago. Jason Cho, the owner, opted not to renew the lease on that space in May of 2020 at the height of uncertainty surrounding the pandemic. So he already had opened a new location in Lazy Brook Timber Grove on 18th Street. And he wasn't sure, you know, the, the smaller space, there was no social distancing, there wasn't a patio. It just, it was a very uncertain time. And so he walked away from it. But now he's coming back. So, Linda, let me just ask you, like, what do you think about the Korean fried chicken at Dakenbaum? I mean, I thought it was, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I I liked it and I enjoyed it back then. Things have changed. You know what I mean? It's kind of like going back to your ex-boyfriend. It's just never going to be the same, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but I mean, I... I it was like, why did they leave that location? That's a great neighborhood. I know because it's my neighborhood, my old neighborhood. I, I'm just kidding around. Um, no, I think that they had such a strong chokehold on on that, that especially inside the loop and for them to go all the way out there. I kind of just saw them struggle a lot with trying to really keep up with with that that neighborhood back out in Timber Grove. I think that there's gonna there's more people in that area um but there's also a lot more restaurants in that area too so you know i think establishing their dominance in the uh in that neighborhood is going to be interesting do i think the product is good great i i always tell you like when whenever we talk about restaurants is is that most of the time isn't really about the food and it really isn't about it's really about location um it's really about how the neighborhood is established and how the service and the staff, you know, how, what the, how, how all of that is kind of like, uh, entruncated within the, the establishment. So I'd like to see what that's going to look like. Um, I want to check it out, but 
there's just there's just a lot of options. Houston is is full of really, really great restaurants. So we'll just see. Yeah, but I still think that area kind of in the museum district is relatively underserved. I mean, if you think about, you know, obviously Dak and Bop held its own with Fadi's and and Barnaby's being right next to it. MF Sushi is a much more premium experience. Uh, there's the taco shop and the pizzeria bins not far from there. And and of course, we talked about Granger's on the show a couple of weeks ago, a kind of a more premium uh, neighborhood restaurant that's opening in that area early next year. So I, you know, I, I think to the extent that the neighborhood has kind of missed Dak and Bop, like, I, I think this is, this is going to be pretty exciting for them, right? Like if, if people were like, oh, where did my chicken go? Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're going to be happy to have it back. Yeah, I want to know if I mean, are they going to do a? Uh, I can't remember what they, they they just had beer and wine, correct? No, they had a full cocktail program. It, it was uh, Jason. Jason was kind of big on the Asian whiskeys, and I I don't know, you know, those are so much harder to obtain these days than when he yeah than when he first opened. But you know, hopefully, yeah, they they come back with all that stuff. I you know, I'd I'd like to see it. All right, yeah, let's uh, let's check it out when they open back up. Absolutely. All right. And then uh, just briefly, I thought we should note that Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, the cocktail bar and pizzeria on Washington Avenue has opened its second location in Montrose in the former bamboo space, like right there at the right there at the bridge over 59. You and I got invited to their soft opening uh, with their publicist and had some food and, and sort of checked it out. So what do you think about you know, because we, we went to the original Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, which was the old Liberty Station that feels very much like a bar. You know, it's, it's all the food comes from a, a food truck. And and then now they've taken a restaurant space. And this feels, you know, maybe maybe less like a bar and more like a restaurant to me. I don't think so at all. I think it's still very much so a bar. I mean, you walk in and it's straight up full bar like when you walk in you know so they do have they do have a side room that has a little dining room which i think they're going to end up using for for like karaoke um which that doesn't feel like a restaurant at all so i think the programming really speaks true to a bar but if we are going to talk about restaurant things or restaurant like things i think the pizza is better at beetlejuice number two just simply based on the fact that the pizza is smaller. So right. um, I don't know if the, I don't know if our, our listeners know kind of like the, 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 the difference. And so the original Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice has a larger diameter. Of a 14 pizza. inch pie and you a can 40. get a 10 inch pie in Montrose. Yeah. And I think the 10 inch pie is the, is the, is the golden ratio because it's just enough crispiness on the edges and still holds in the center. Cause one of the things that I always, it always irked me out about the, uh, the larger pizzas is that it'll get soggy in the center. And so I don't know, this is just like technical weird things that nobody would even consider. <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, no. I completely agree with you because we had, I, we went and they're still getting everything dialed in. So I, it's not, it didn't upset me, but one of the pizzas that we got to try was baked to a higher level of doneness than another one. And the one that was more crispy and more well done was more to my liking. Cause it's a, it's kind of a thickish, it's, it's not a deep dish by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a thicker crust. Yeah. And so you want a little more crunch with it. 
Uh, it's also, it's, they're all done in cast iron, right? Is that correct? Yeah, they're cooked in cast iron pans. Yeah, and so like, I just so think So show like, off the cast iron, right? Like bake it hard. Like let, yeah, that, yeah. let that iron, let that steel get hot. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that we, I think, you know, like I really care about details, but like not everybody else does. So, but if you're a fucking nerd like me, check out the the smaller boys over at the new location and let me know what you think of their frozens. Well, yes, we should say they are serving a version of the frozen watermelon fresca that you created for LaGrange and you, you get a little shout out on the menu. Yeah. I've, I've made a couple, I've made a couple of drinks in my career that have kind of like that water, that watermelon drink was, um, by the way, BTW, I don't like watermelon, but I knew that watermelon and Aperol were going to work really well together in a margarita. And so um, it was probably the highest sold drink at LaGrange other than the margarita, which I'm, I, I developed that one too. But, um, but it was also because my background in margarita making was from Bobby Hugel at, and Alba at Pastry War. So it's not like I just came, came up with something that had never been done before. It's because I have really good people behind me so um, well so so you tasted the watermelon fresca did it did it taste right to you is it an accurate uh replication of your recipe it is a very good version of it yeah i i will say i had one and i drank it very quickly it was a very delicious uh cocktail still i remember i remember trying it at lagrange when you first created it and i thought this was a winner and i had it recently at beetlejuice beetlejuice and i was i was super happy so so that i can so that I can go there and get a pizza and wings and a watermelon fresca, sign yeah. me up. Well, and I think honestly, uh, you know, we talk, we haven't talked a little bit, we haven't talked about this much, but um, I think one of the reasons I'm liking Beetlejuice as a whole and Montrose is, is that there's a ton of OG bartenders. There's bartenders from Old Liberty Station. There's bartenders from old catbirds. There's bartenders from old, um, old grand prize. So there's a lot of, there is a lot of OG Montrose bartenders back in Montrose, which is just a refreshing glass of awesomeness. Yeah. So is there anyone you want to like, you know, we talked about, we talked about St. Julian's with Ben Mowbray. Uh, the last time you were on the show, is there, is there anyone else you want to give a shout out to? No, I can't. I honestly think that like, if you're an OG cocktail drinker in Houston, you're going to know half the staff. And if, if it's your first time to go meet, meet them, like DM me, let me know what you think. Tag me. I just, I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of that staff right now. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. Linda, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about two places in the Heights. The first is Moon Rabbit, which I'm going to describe as kind of a, a fusion-y Vietnamese restaurant. Now, I admit, this is a place that's been open for about a year and a half, and I just missed it. It, it. it was no fault of the Moon Rabbit people. I just sort of missed it and never made it over there, but I've had a ton of people just raving to me about it, including you. Uh, I'd say we had a really good dinner at 
Moon Rabbit. What do, what do you think? Did I think we had a really good dinner there? Yes, of course. The ingredients are good. The food, <laughs> it's, I'll be honest with you. Um, so I lived in that neighborhood 15 years ago. And so that neighborhood is completely different. But there was always a really mediocre Asian restaurant in that space for the longest time. The amount yes, of times it was that called I, uh, Vietnam, I think. Yeah. I, the amount of times that I went in there just thinking, man, if I wasn't as lazy as I was, I could literally drive 10, 15 minutes just further out just to get a little bit better, better Asian food. And I mean, honestly, like that, that, that style of restaurant is probably great in like the suburbs or something, but like, we've got a lot of really good stuff in Houston. So. Well, and, we, and more to the point, I mean, we, we as a city and certainly inside the loop have become sort of enamored with the idea of this kind of second generation Vietnamese food that incorporates like some ingredients and techniques from other traditions. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about Le Baguette. I'm thinking about Sin Chow, uh, yep. Blind Goat, you know, Dinette, uh, another place we've talked about. Oh, so, I love Dinette. Right. So I, so I sort of see Moon Rabbit as kind of the next version of any of those restaurants. And I think it's a very, like, it, as a Houstonian who's who's been eating the regular Vietnamese food for a long time, you know, vermicelli bowls and and banh mi and pho and, and everything else, this style of restaurant that's just a little bit that, that you know, mixes things up a little bit and has some other influences just makes a ton of sense to me. You know, I look at this menu and I'm just like, I, I could order this whole menu. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's ambitious in a way that you can, there's good ingredients, there's specialty items that are not normally seen on a normal Vietnamese menu, but it's still fresh mint, bean sprouts, you know, um, lots of acid, fish sauce. Uh, they make three, four, they make four different house-made condiments. Like all of that is just like little details. And they have a really good cocktail menu. And while we were sitting there, three other service beverage professionals all swooped in right next to us. You know, like, I mean, it's, they've got good stuff going on over there. Right. It has become popular with other people in the, in the restaurant industry, wine shops, whatever. Um, I, and, and I think that speaks to the quality of their food. You know, for me, standout dishes, you know, I thought that carpaccio with its, uh, you know, with the citrus and the, and the Vietnamese herbs and the fish sauce, I thought, thought that was a real standout. You know, the other thing that really stuck out to me was those fried shrimp with the crispy shells and the, and the crunchy garlic. I just, I thought that was like one of the better fried shrimp dishes I've had in recent memory. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Any, any favorites from, from what we ate that night? No, I, 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 I love that menu. So, um, I love that restaurant group as a whole. It's the same people that do Cata Robata. It's the same people that do Soma. Soma. It's the same people that do Josephine's. I think the organization of that, that organization is really starting to dial in what Houston wants to eat and drink. And I welcome that. Right. So I, I will say this was my first visit. It will not be my last. There's a miso marinated clay pot fish that looks really good. I didn't get to try the shaken beef. Uh, I've heard good things about their uh, spicy fried chicken sandwich. So 
a lot a lot left for me to try and and i certainly look forward to my next visit to me rabbit cool all right and then the second place i want to talk to you about is best regards this is the new cocktail bar and lounge in the former calle onze slash chivo space on 11th street next to eight row flint as a, as a lazy food writer who's trying to capture people's attention i look at I look at best regards and I see, you know, a, a very stylish interior, uh, you know, a cocktail menu that's got, you know, nicely garnished cocktails that, that, you know, they've got the espresso martini. They've got some of the, the classic tequila cocktails. I look at a, at a young woman, uh, Morgan Hansen, who's the owner. And, and by young, I mean, I mean, younger than I am. Right. Like, I don't mean like, I mean, like she's a teenager. I mean, like she's a, a successful businesswoman in her thirties, but younger than I am. And, and I, I look at all of those elements and, and people are like, so how is best regards? And I go, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of Clarkwood for the Heights. And that's, that's the lazy, that's what we do as food writers is, is we try to just, you know, crap, catch people's attention with something catchy like that. So, so let me throw it to you, Linda. Is it, is it Clarkwood Heights? It's not, it is faux Clarkwood Heights. But I mean, Clarkwood is interesting because of the neighborhood. And that's why that's that's what that's Clarkwood isn't just because it is where it it isn't it isn't what it looks like or what it feels like. It's the people that are going to be there. And I think it's it's hard to replicate something like Clarkwood because it is also much smaller. Um, And when you have a smaller room, it's kind of easier to curate things. I think best regards doesn't best regards looks really good i think it's a very instagrammable place i think it's going to be packed thursday friday saturday i think it's the washington clarkwood that's what it feels like to me i think it's interesting to to have it there in the in that neighborhood but did we have a great time there yes did we run into friends yes will it continue to be a machine i think so um, I'd like to see some different programming because it does kind of look like Clarkwood, but I'd like to see more more stuff from them. What yeah, else? Yeah, let me let me just slow you down for just a second and and just interrupt your flow for just just a quick second because because I, I I sort of set myself up with this idea that it's it's Clarkwood, but it but it really is its own thing, and I do think they they've got a lot of a lot of elements that are really compelling. As you said, we really liked the drinks, we really liked the way the place looks. It's got this huge landscaped patio that on a on a sticky September night was maybe not that appealing, but is going to be completely awesome as soon as the first cold yeah. front blows in. And they they have this ambition of having, you know, DJs there on the weekends and stuff like that. And and so I do think there's a lot to like about this place. Absolutely. And, and I think it's I'm sort of making fun of myself by saying, you know, oh, it's just it's Clarkwood Heights. Of course it's not. Clarkwood is is kind of a unicorn and it's been incredibly successful. And for for all the reasons that you said, because they get all the little details right, because it's so small inside, because uh the staff is really great and and understands like how lucky they are oh, the in some sense to be working for, for a restaurant that's or for a bar rather that's as busy as it is. So, you know, for all of those reasons, Clarkwood is is a very special place. And and I don't think I don't really think Best Regards is trying to rip that off. So much as is maybe took a look at the success of Clarkwood and thought, oh, we could do a version of that. Like it, it, we don't have to have a cocktail bar or a nightclub that looks like every other cocktail bar and every other nightclub. 
we can have a place with a more feminine energy and and a really fun patio and be successful and i think that's what they've created yeah i mean i think i think that 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 is one of the things that is one of the reasons why i like and i think we talked about that the first night that we went there uh, or the second time that i went there was it is it is feminine it is pretty it isn't like it isn't steel and wood you know which that seems to be um the houstonian look there's like greenery you know with them it's there's greenery there's there's little details there's gold and green in you know and i and i really i i really appreciate more women more women owned bars because there's only a few there's only a few women that are really that are really like put up front so i really appreciate that and it's not a diss to to them because i think it'll i think i mean the fact that you know we have so many people uh, with so many bars, so many restaurants, and the fact that 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 concept has not been able to stick for how many years now? You know, maybe they're they're going to break the uh, break the curse. Yeah, I I mean, I do think it's interesting that Eleventh Street is, you know, one of these very busy corridors in the Heights, and and you look at the success of Eight Row Flynn or Field and Tides or or, you know, more recently Trattoria Sofia and Loro. And and meanwhile, you know, this is the third tenant of this of this space. So, okay, if the if if Mexican food or Tex Mex wasn't working, let's try a bar. And and that it's that it's not, you know, yet another family friendly concept designed to appeal to the Heights parents or whatever. That doesn't really bother me because I also know there's a ton of young professionals that live in apartments all over the neighborhood or just outside the neighborhood. You know, those are the people keeping places like permission and easy's liquor lounge going those are the people going to mcintyre's and everything else that's happening on 19th and 20th street in shitty acres so some cross-section of that crowd will find its way to best regards awesome all right i'm gonna say that does it for the restaurants of the week linda thank you very much thanks so much that does it for today's show thanks so much for listening join me thursday when my guest will be Raz Halili and Joe Cervantes from Pier 6. Mm-hmm.